Good evening, everybody. G'day, Mike. How you going out there? Oh, just trucking along, mate, northbound with the hammer down on 31. Right, eh? You seem, seem to be getting out there a bit of late. Oh, mate, I'm doing a few kilometres. I am doing a few, yes. Yeah, right, eh? Keeps, yeah, keeps you busy on a Wednesday night. Does keep me busy on a Wednesday night. I'd like to be able to have the time to pull up, but unfortunately, because of the uh, the logbook situation, we've got to keep on trucking. Oh, uh, well, that's, yeah, we've all had that discussion before, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, special thanks to uh, Queensland Rail. Now you're trucking height. Yep, and size does matter. That's, That's the right. one. So, yeah, Wednesday Night Live, proudly brought to you by Queensland Rail. So our good friend Yogi's not going to make it tonight. Um, What's he doing? Oh, he's out in the sticks there somewhere, obviously. Not with appropriate service. So, anyway, he he may call in. We'll see how he goes. But, yeah, well, we look forward to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, what's the, what's the big news of today, mate? Well, the big news for today is that. Oh, gee, look at that! Oh. No, no, keep. Your, oh, sorry, keep, mate. Keep concentrating, there, Michael. I am concentrating. I just saw this really flash digger going southbound. It was a lot of nice trucks out here. Big news for today, uh, it was warm and windy in Melbourne, and uh, that's the big news for today, mate, and I had to uh, waste a little bit of time waiting to get loaded, but that happens too. Yeah, right. Did you have to stand out in the rain, or did you get to uh, sit no, in the big rig? No, no. I sat in the big rig. I don't have to stand in the rain. It was not raining. It was just sort of just one of those days, you know, but no, I, I'm fairly lucky We where we live, we Unfortunately, are exposed to the elements, but uh, uh, well, at least they don't have to stand in a little square, a little yellow square. <laughs> While they unload your truck. We've had uh, um, all four seasons again up here. It's cooler. Then, then it rains, and then the sun comes out, and <clears throat> yeah. then it rains again. And yeah. then the sun comes out, and then it gets humid. So Yeah, well, that's what happens. Yeah, but we've had all that today, but yeah. Player, player comfort level goes south. Yeah, it does a little bit, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm uh, just prepare. I'm going for a little drive myself tomorrow. So. Yeah. Are you really? Yeah, keep me out of trouble. Where are you going? Oh, down the down the down the Pacific. Down the Pacific. Down the Pacific oh, right for a bit of a steer. All right. So. You, you'll be able to handle it. You can remember how to do it, can you? Oh, we'll have a go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just climb, climb up in there and point it in the right direction, and the rest right. should be right, shouldn't it? Yeah, so, well, the trailers should follow along behind you. Well, we hope so. Anyway, we'll mm -hmm. um, we'll go and test out a few things tomorrow. So, well, yeah. one of them might be talking to um, <clears throat> some of the people that our special guest works under tonight. Oh, right, eh? I expect to have a conversation with some of those at some point. In the next month, I would be surprised if I get away without having that conversation. Yeah, we are, of course, talking about the uh, frontline compliance officers, the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator. Uh, we've got Mr. Paul Salvati, the Chief Operations Officer, coming on at seven thirty for a bit of a chat about the the current um, 
blitz that they've got going. Yeah. Um, a few, few questions for him to answer, and we'll yeah. see how we do. It's interesting wording. I don't know where that came from. Maybe one of the Facebook pages or something, was it? The, well, the blitz, I don't know. I think, I think they called it the blitz in their press release. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so another... Oh, look. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more when Paul comes on. Yeah. The other thing we've got going on this weekend, not that uh, any of us are involved in it, but um, some of my colleagues are in other areas, um, uh, the convoy for closing the loopholes bill. So it's going to be yep. held in every capital city. Um, yeah. Been waiting for a press release on it, and I was trying to find something there this afternoon, but I'm hoping that we will have something we can post up a bit later or or repost about that for people that do want to get involved. But you know, there there are a lot of um, a, a lot of associations in that getting involved in that. Some some companies as well. So uh, the gig gig economy, they they're starting to get behind it as well. So um, I think it's something that that should be supported. I've you know seen on the news a bit of late that you know that, that it's getting stalled in Parliament and. I think that's what frustrates everybody that instead of actually wanting to debate it, they really just want to stall it. So, you know, well, at the moment we, we, are, we are losing lives, we're losing companies, is in, you know, becoming insolvent. Um, so the statistics are there that really does prove that something needs to be done. So... Whether or not this has taken it in the right direction, at least there is a conversation there, and um, yeah, I think we can all agree who are in the in the industry and do the actual job that change is absolutely necessary. Well, no one is going to argue that change within the transport industry is necessary. Mm. The issue that we have is that you know uh, many of us, myself included. Have given submissions to the Senate through Ben Stills' inquiry. Yeah, um, we all know that there's a number of answers. I mean, you, you can look all the way back to Quinlan's study back in the day. Mm. You know, and, and everything that's been done between now and then points to the fact that we need to do a certain few things to not necessarily fix transport, but to alleviate some of the the uh, <clears throat> ills that we have. And we we know the answers. Mm. We know the answers because we've asked the questions. They've been answered. Yeah. And, we you know, there's a piece of legislation in front of the parliament now that, in my opinion, really should have been a standalone bill. It shouldn't have been part of an omnibus bill, in my opinion. This is just my opinion. Yeah. shouldn't have been part of an omnibus bill with a whole swathe of other industrial relations reforms. Mm. It's not the transport part that people are jumping up and down about. It's all the other stuff. Yeah, and that's what's a bit frustrating. But, you know, if you do look at in, in particular areas where it does relate to transport, <clears throat> you know, you've got retail associations saying that um, that it's going to cost the consumers more money. Well, yeah. I, I can tell you now, transport's the least of the worries about what, what retailers will charge a, a, a customer or what a middleman will charge people. You know, it's... The transport part's irrelevant. It costs what it costs, and if that has to yeah. be done in a safe manner and every um, consumer has to pay for it, you know, you might be just saving the life of one of your family members if that's the case. Yeah. 
So well, as old mate Trevor Water keeps saying, all it takes is a ki- uh, one cent on a kilo of bananas. Yeah. To make the difference between a safe rate out of and a rate that makes people scratch. That's you right. Know? So we we all see so, f- uh, price fluctuations in in virtually every product that that moves around. So yeah. I, I don't I don't see how the cost of transport is is one of the the bigger factors in in those movements in cost. Yes, it does cost money to move things, but it doesn't fluctuate as much as what retailers would like you to believe. Um, well, you've only got to look at the examples we're seeing at the abattoirs. I mean, we've had this discussion. Yeah. I know we've had this discussion. Yeah. Look at how much the farmers are getting for lambs, and we know that there's different quality lambs, and you know, without dissecting the thing down, and I'm sure, I know that you can, I know that you can, Craig, <laughs> Yeah. But without dissecting it down too much, um, the farmers aren't getting as much for their lambs as they were getting. That's mm. a fact. Yeah. Um, Woolies and Coles and all the rest of them are paying less for the lambs. That's a fact. They're going through the abattoirs. Uh, that's a fact. But the price of meat's not going down on the supermarket shelf. That's no. also a fact. But that's where so, you know, all I can recommend is you go to your local butcher. We've got a, we've got a yeah. fantastic local butcher here and... Um, yeah. And their prices do remain competitive compared to what they yeah. what they um, would, but they they know that their customer has a bit of an idea of what goes on, so they they adjust their prices accordingly, and they're not here to rip rip everybody off and um, make sure shareholders have, have been um, looked after by by making record profits. It's you know not not to be a in a communistic state, but. You know, it's it's all there to go round, and um, I'm no I'm no communist, but I'm yeah you know, I'm, I'm a little bit on the capitalist side. I mean, if you take the risk and pay the money, then you deserve to make the profit. Mm. But the profits that have been made by some of these people are absolutely obscene. Well, some it, of the companies. It is when we obscene. when we have a talk every day about the cost of living, and I don't I don't know where some of these economists get their figures from or how they. They've certainly got a different calculator to me, but yeah. um, you know we talk about this cost of living crisis. So you know it's in a way it's just our our responsibility to our our fellow human beings to try to look after one another, not not um, slice their big toe off. Yeah. But anyway, don't even start me on. Don't oh, even start don't me on start housing. Him. I haven't got that song ready to play either. So <laughs> you haven't got that. <laughs> well, I mean. Uh, we were told, told on the news there, I think the day before yesterday, oil's dropped down to $77 a barrel now because the Arabs have decided we could probably have a little bit more oil. Yeah. Um, I wonder what the fuel was last time oil was $77 a barrel and why isn't it back there now? I don't know, but I think there's plenty of graphs that would just look like a three-year-old's drawing, wouldn't they, if you tried to put that together? I reckon. It, I reckon. Um, None of it makes any sense, you know. One price goes up, but there's always an excuse, isn't there, for why? Yeah, of for course. why it's dear. Like you know, there's either a war here, or the yeah, supply, or the dollars changed, or you yeah. know, the there's a grasshopper in Nicaragua that's extinct now, so that drives the price yeah. up. You know, just pick pick one, and uh, see how you well, go with that. But, the uh, fact that we have very, 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 very little onshore production of fuel anymore. <laughs> And yeah, we rely on we rely on what comes out of uh, Singapore and places like that, uh, refined petroleum. 
Mm. Um, we don't have a we don't have a stockpile. I mean, said uh, Jim Mullen, God rest his soul, buddy. He was right on top of that as far as our strategic reserve or the lack of it. Mm. You know, I mean, these are issues that we keep kicking the can down the road on all the time. Seem to be, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and, we, and, 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 and like when it becomes a problem, everyone goes, oh, gee, who knew? What well, everyone knew. What happened there? Yeah. What happened there? Yep. Everyone knew. Yeah. And it's the same with, it's the same with road transport. We know what the problems are. Um, you know, it's like if you want to find someone that's misbehaving, mm. don't send a bloody lawyer to look at the books. Send a couple of truck drivers. They'll soon sort it out, won't they? <laughs> <laughs> to find out, um, find out where the gaps are. Yeah, and and some, I'm a laugh. I was sorry, gone. Yeah, sorry. and some of those gaps are pretty big. Oh yeah, but um, yeah. seems a little bit. Look, you know, we, we've all done things to um, to minimise our risk of prosecution. So, you know, we, we everybody in the industry knows that what what's presented sometimes is is you know, a, a different version of the truth, but it still looks like yeah. the truth. So, yeah. you know, reg- regulation here, regulation there, It's it's got to be um, got to be structured in a way that is actually um, achievable um, yeah. in the industry. But anyway, yeah. Well, I suppose before Paul comes on, we'll just clear something up. Yeah. The first thing is that, that Paul personally is not responsible for what's happening at the moment. <laughs> he's representing he's representing the, the crowd that are that are part of it. The, the NHVR do not make the law. The lawmakers pass the laws on the recommendations from the NTC. So while we all have to deal with the NHVR and they have to deal with us, the heavy vehicle national law is not their creation. Mm. It's there. It's the rod for their back, the same as it's the rod for ours. Yeah, I think. Now, well, I am sorry. No, you go on. go on then. I was going to say because I'm on a roll. I was going to say that you know, while there may be a few individual officers out there that do enjoy what they do a little bit too much for some of our liking, that's not the case in every in every case. And uh, you know, if you feel as though you've been hard done by, please feel free to present Craig or I. With the evidence, and we'll represent it to the NHBR on your behalf. Yeah, um, but make sure you tell them the whole story. Well, you need because- you need the whole story, and you also need for people to understand that there are different enforcement agencies out there dealing with fatigue. Yeah, so that's right. You know, if you're in Queensland, it's obviously not at this point the NHBR, so they they can't yeah. do a lot about it. You know, in in um, in New South Wales, you you, you could be um, could be the New South Wales Police Task Force or something too on on fatigue. So yeah, when, when you've got the story, you need to make sure that whoever you you're telling the story about, it's it's actually correct. So you yeah. know, because I have seen it where people have been targeted and it's been a, a police issued fine, and and they're trying to get get it to uh, present to the um, NHVR. So yeah, you know, you've got you've got to get that right and. Anyway, yeah, so there will be a, a It's a very, very... Well, it's an imperfect sandwich, isn't it? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Huh. Huh. <laughs> it's cutting cut into many pieces. Yes. And, there's and some, sometimes uh, we all have to take a bite. And some different, 
<laughs> different fillings in amongst them, and some of them gone a bit oh, off too, I think. But... Some of them, you what? <laughs> well, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, I mean, I run an electronic logbook, as you know, and I have for some years. Mm. Uh, I wasn't a fan when I started, right? I'll, I'll, let's, let's get that straight. I was not a fan. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's not without its problems. But I'll tell you one problem I don't have. When I have a, if I get pulled into Maroolan for a random or I get pulled up on the side of the road for a random, hand them the logbook in compliance mode, they look at it and hand it back to you. Yeah. <clears throat> um, because they know that if you're using an electronic logbook system um, and there's nothing in compliance mode that says you've committed a breach, mm. then there's nothing for them to look at. Yeah. It's over, it's painless. Yeah. And for the... That's right, it is normal. Shower or... Yeah. Mm. You, know, it, you know, for the times when things have gone wrong and I've been mucked up and stuck in a rest area... Uh, compared to some of the times, and it, it it also fixes up any of the other, you know, how many hours have you got left in the week or the fortnight, your long hours, your night hours, you know, your bloody breaks, tells you when you need to have a break. Yep. I mean, look, an electronic logbook's not for everyone, and I understand that there's a fear of the technology, mm. but once there are some good systems out there to use, and... Uh, I think that perhaps uh, perhaps you might need to. You don't have to change over straight away. I mean, you can you can go and you can get uh, things like Safey or Hubfleet or any of those ones um, to uh, to uh, try out before you change over and see how it works for you. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to. Don't have to change straight away. They can give you that bit of peace of mind knowing that you know if you're running correctly that it's all above board and it looks good and tells you when you yeah. do need to pull up and you know does help you plan your trips a little bit but particularly yeah, well, if you're someone who does run <clears throat> like very close to your hours every day um, yeah I, I find it yeah quite invaluable to know that you know you are actually achieving the right thing and they can even be educational um for some who may have not been filling their book out correctly um, previously. Yeah, well, it's very, very easy, very, very easy to make a very expensive, silly mistake. <laughs> yeah. And and you can guarantee that the uh, New South Wales Police Task Force fella that's got your logbook open on the boot of the car mm. knows exactly what he's looking at. Well, pretty much. No. And, um, you know, there's a few that... As you say, can be a bit overzealous, and I I wish we saw a bit more education in a slightly different system. I don't. Yeah. yeah. I, I might be an advocate for electronic work diaries, but in in no circumstance am I an advocate for a work diary in its current form. But yeah, you know, or or the punitive or the penalties involved in it. I still think we need some kind of record keeping, but um, to be uh, financially punished is not not a great thing. Particularly in a cost of living crisis. Yeah, well, I mean, if we can go to town on that, mm. I mean, you've only got to look at it. A, a logbook fine, um, particularly for something that you know, happened a month or so ago. Yeah, um, it's 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 pointless for a start. 
Yeah. All, all it does is create uh, like this uh, disharmony and 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 create uh, ill will. Mm. Yeah. Uh, amongst the uh, amongst the parties, and the other part about it is, ninety percent of the time, or maybe even more, old mate's got to go and explain it to his missus why he's just spent five hundred bucks mm-hmm. on a fine. Yeah. Um, mm. When the mortgage is there, I mean that's the groceries, that's the buddy, the you know, the school kids for the shoes, the you know, kids kids school shoes and all that sort of thing. Oh. And you know you just just basically put five hundred bucks. Yeah. Down the toilet uh, because you didn't tick a box or you didn't get your half hour break in where it should have been, or mm-hmm. you know. And I and I honestly think that uh, that's something is a little bit of bit, bit problematic and something I want to ask um, Paul about because we you know, we got guys are moving to uh, electronic logbooks now and there's a certain amount of paranoia about you know what happens if I do go over mm. um, the mistake's going to be there for everyone to see. And, uh, you know, you're on trip money, you're stuck in traffic on the M7 and you've got nowhere to go. Yeah. You know, what are you doing? You're pulling up in the breakdown lane for a 30-minute break. Fabulous. Yeah, it's not the best. Not ideal. You know, and, and, I, and I needed to go to Eastern Creek, which is three kilometres up the road, mm. where I can, you know, have a feed, have a shower, go to the toilet if I need to. But no, I'm stuck at the bottom of the hill at Elizabeth Drive. Yeah. Well, that's you something you may be able to help us out with. I, I know with one uh, I use with Hubfleet that you, there is a few tolerances there. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we need to talk about that stuff yeah. because it's one of the biggest fears that guys have. Yeah. You know? Well, we might go to a song yeah. and we'll see if we can get Paul on the phone. Let's do that. Oh, I don't. Bit of Luke Coombs, eh? Beer never broke my heart. Oh, we'll okay. Be, we'll be right back. Bust my line, a couple beautiful girls tell me goodbye. Trucks break down, dogs run off, politicians lie, been fired by the boss. It takes one hand to count the things I can count on. No, there ain't much man that ain't ever let me down. Teams are torn this boy apart Like a neon dream It just don't know me The bars in this guitar And long neck eyes Cold beer never broke my heart She was a Carolina blue jean baby Firing her eyes that drove me crazy Red tail lights when she left town If I didn't know then I sure know now The long neck eyes Cold beer never broke my heart Like a diamond rings And football teams Are torn this boy apart Like a neon dream It just don't know me The bars in this guitar And long neck eyes Cold beer never broke my heart Oh, my God. 
Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, Mike. Hey, I'm still here. Trucking away. Trucking away. Thanks again to Queensland Rail. No, you're no, trucking height. That's it. So, size does matter. Size does matter. So we've got Paul Salvati from the NHBR on. Um, welcome, Paul. Thank you. Yeah, good to be here. So, Paul, what's your specific role within the NHBR? I'm the Chief Operations Officer, so sitting under me, I've got all the on-road staff across across New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, ACT, Tassie, uh, Queensland early next year will be my on-road staff as well. I've also got all the uh, access permits, PBS, accreditation, contact centre, safety cam, IAP and other bits and pieces. So you don't really have a lot to do then? <laughs> 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 He's a bit like, a bit like us, mate. He has a snooze after lunch. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I didn't actually realise your role was so expansive. Yeah, I think I think about seventy five percent of the staff in HVR sit under me. Right. Okay. Well, that's a big role covering some of those, and um, yeah. So you you look after PBS and fatigue, mass, I'm, all that sort of stuff. Did you say? Well, I look after. Well, I look after the. the the PBS vehicle approvals, yep. and and when you say fatigue in HVAS, that sits with me as well. So if you're in accreditation for mass maintenance or fatigue, yep. that's part of the business that sits under me as well. Yeah, right. Very good. Well, that's good. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> so yeah, a lot. Yeah. Yep. I'm actually surprised. It's a big, very big role. So yeah. tonight we wanted to talk a bit about fatigue. Um, yep. Yeah, good. So the NHVR has announced a bit of a, and I'm not sure of the wording here, but I've heard the word blitz. Is that is that what we're saying? Or yeah, no, we're we're not. Because when I hear the word blitz, to be honest, guys, I think about trying to write tickets and give out infringements. We we are not looking to write any more infringements. This when our operations focused on trying to raise awareness around fatigue, talk about the challenges with it, and make sure the drivers, especially new drivers are looking after themselves when it comes to fatigue. So we're really focusing on education. We're focusing on awareness. We're not focusing on writing infringements, but if we see a serious issue, we will obviously, but it's really not a blitz. I hear blitz, I think, giving out giving out penalty notices. Now, that's not what this is about. Well, that's a, a good uh, good answer because I, I can tell you when I hear the word blitz, it does get my hackles up a bit too, yeah, um, yeah. particularly when I believe we are working in an environment of of educating people in what they do and and fatigue is such a, a, a the word fatigue doesn't really apply anything to a, a work diary in my opinion um 
there's so yeah. many more factors that that can determine well that are uh, make you fatigued and it's not a, a diary so it's good to no. hear it's good to hear yeah look it, it uh, it's interesting over the last 12 months we've done over 2100 hours of education on fatigue and work diaries now that mightn't sound like a lot but when you think about education usually sits at about 10 15 minutes per driver that's a lot of time and usually it's because we've seen an issue with their work diary either an administrative issue or they're not using it properly or there's a minor issue if we're focusing on tickets, that 2,100 hours would be a hell of a lot of tickets. Mm. Instead, it's a hell of a lot of educations. Oh, sorry, forgive my language. So it's actually really an indication of where we're headed as a regulator. It's about helping start, helping drivers understand how to be compliant, but also manage their fatigue. Yeah. So do you see they're two different things? Like you said, they manage your fatigue and be compliant. Um, I, I've always struggled with the two blending together to be honest. Um, Look, I, I've, yeah. I've found I've had to manage my fatigue and then I've had to manage the compliance part of that so that yeah. everything looked right, but I wasn't tired. And it, I've had, I have golden rules for myself. If you're tired, I go to bed. Um, but, yeah, anyway, I've, I've find a, a bit of a blurred line there in, in managing both of those together. I, I love your golden rule. Look, to be honest, the... The work and rest requirements under the heavy vehicle national law, they're, they're almost like a, a one-size-fits-all approach because it's, every person's different. Everyone feels fatigued differently. Everyone gets fatigued at different points. You can have changes in your life which make you fatigued at the start of a journey. So it's, it's a fairly prescriptive blunt instrument to make sure there's at least some sort of commonality. But I couldn't agree more. I think people manage their fatigue individually. And the work and rest hours and the work diary are trying to set some sort of minimum standard or, or base standard of fatigue to try and get some uh, some semblance of fatigue management across industry. But uh, look, to be honest, I agree. Fatigue is a very personal thing. Mm. So, well, with, with saying that, um, are you training officers to to understand and have some empathy towards individuals and how they function? So at a base level, I'm going to say yes. And I was at uh, Broadford at the start of the week and we had a new driver get intercepted and she owned her own truck. She's fairly new to industry, under only a couple of months. Her work diary was a mess. She didn't know how to fill it out. There's a heap of issues with it. And our officers spent a fair bit of time just walking her through it, gave her some links to YouTube videos and told her what she was doing wrong. Didn't find her at all, could have found her for a lot, but didn't find her, gave her a warning, sent her on away. And to me, that's an example of the empathy we're trying to train in our staff. To understand, here's someone new to industry, they know they need a work diary, they're trying to do the right thing, and we're trying to help them do that, right? Yeah. So that that's but, but that's where we're headed. There's there's a difference in the way that you're talking about fatigue and fatigue and enforcement, for the want of a better description. And the way, for example, the New South Wales Highway Patrol are responding to fatigue. Um, and it just seems to me that sometimes we've got so many different bodies that are able to enforce yeah. the fatigue law, uh, while your uh, approach may be a little bit more uh, friendly, shall we say, there's certainly those out there that, that the approach is not friendly. And, yeah, Mike, we, and, do, we do hear that. Uh, and uh, I've had I've had at least today five phone calls from guys uh, that are incensed that this is happening right now, 
um, we're coming up to the busiest time of the year. We have a number of situations that we end up having to deal with, with uh, caravanners who don't like to pay for caravan parks but do like to use truck rest areas for their overnight stays. In fact, last week at the Kulak rest area, there were two caravans parked there, sorry, three caravans parked there, taking up parking areas that would have held six B-doubles. And Gosh. It, it's, uh, it becomes very frustrating. Um, in fact, I drove through there, saw that with my own eyes, had to leave and drove down and pulled up in the, uh, in the dump area down at uh, Tumblong, down near Snowball there. So um, now the, I've had to go through a camera to do that. And mm. the reality of it is, is if I was up against it on my logbook, I wasn't, thankfully, but if I was, I mean, there's the blister for free. And it's a $500 yeah. blister or more. And we're talking about a situation where a lot of the things that happen to drivers, I believe, are, uh, are happening that are beyond their control, being forced to wait around, being forced into situations like having to move on, mm. and you don't have any wiggle room. Yeah, Mike, I'll, I'll, I'll respond to a couple of things. I think I'll start with the, the police. Without commenting on how police interpret the law, we do yep. a lot of stuff now recently with police, a lot of joint operations where we are sharing information but also approaches. You're right. Yep. And again, we don't we can't tell police how to enforce the law, but we make sure that what we know and how we do it, they're across. So I have meetings with the police all the time. We talk about different approaches. And if you if you ever get a chance to see a joint operation with us together, usually what happens is police let us do the HVNL stuff and they do the drug and alcohol testing, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yes, but I've I, seen that. I have seen yeah, that. You yeah, you have. Yeah, so, but, it, but again, it's um, we can control, we can control the H, at the NHVR, and we have, we're driving a culture across our on-road staff of informed, educated, and force. If it's a serious yep. enough breach or you have a history of non-compliance, we'll enforce. Otherwise, we'll look at education and trying to help drivers especially understand, here's where you weren't compliant, and here's what you have to do differently, we give our staff full discretion on how they apply the law, but they very much know the focus from our CEO, Sal Petrosito, is about making sure we look at um, supporting drivers in being compliant. The caravanners, Mike, yeah, that's an issue. We've You might have seen some of the, the media we've done. We used uh, Jimmy Rees, the comedian. I'm not sure if you saw the stuff we put out. No, I've, I've seen. I'm very familiar with all of it, mate, Jeff. Yeah, mate, yeah, we got we got a lot of airtime and a lot of caravanning associations shared that with their members. Um, I'd hope that it will have an impact because uh, I know what you're saying. When when you're when you're tired and you're banking on that rest stop and it's full of caravans, that creates a safety issue. So we will we'll we'll keep working with caravanning associations and light vehicle drivers to help them understand how they can support our freight industry by, you know, driving safely around trucks, but also leaving those, those rest spots, which are essential for truck drivers, free for truck drivers. Mm. Yeah, well, I think uh, Steve Shearer is not very impressed with uh, Sal's uh, position and basically saying that he's been a little bit disingenuous and a little bit uh, excited with the numbers that he's used and basically pulled them apart in the Big Rigs article that you, you yeah. see uh, out there at the moment. I find it well, a little bit difficult to argue with what Steve's saying because I think he's right. You know, and, actually, uh, Mike, would you believe t- 
two hours ago, Sal and I were sitting down with Steve here in Adelaide, and we're actually chatting what? through, chatting through that with Steve. <laughs> um, so well, it's funny, you guys. But look, it's we, we hear what Steve's saying, right? And, and Steve started out by saying that you know, even even one death is too many. We we accept that, and we accept that seventy percent of those fatalities, the research shows, aren't the fault of the heavy vehicle driver, right? Right. I've got no yep. issue with that at all. Um, and, and again, the other stat coming out is to show that if it comes though, to move away from fatalities, and most of the fatalities are, the research shows a light vehicle is crossed into the path of a heavy vehicle. That's where yep. most of those fatalities come from, right? Not most, but the, the largest proportion. When it comes to serious injuries and critical injuries, it's actually reversed. So there's still, there's still an opportunity to make sure when you've got something entirely preventable like fatigue for a lot of these issues that they actually bring it to the driver's attention and make sure they're looking after themselves. Steve's other point, Mike, when, when Sal and I were talking to him, was he wants to see things like when you when you report in your operation, show us the good things that are happening. Sal and I have no issue with that because we're actually seeing a lot of really good work by industry. Industry are trying really hard to be compliant. And to be honest, most of the non-compliance we see, I would categorise as minor. Yep. I think the industry today, Mike, is much different to the industry a decade ago. I think our drivers are more professional, they're more safety-focused, and I think that's what is a regulator. We're going to try and make sure we, we're we getting that message out to industry so we don't just say, yeah, we intercepted 10,000 trucks and, you know, 40% were non-compliant. We'll actually try and make sure we give a more balanced view, which is what Steve is really saying. He's kind of saying... You're doing this, you're kind of misinterpreting industry. You're going to come out and say how bad we were, but that's not our intent. It, it really isn't, and we'll take on Steve's feedback, and Sal and I agreed we'd look at how we, we position our messaging and how we report back on things like this in the future. Mm. Well, that uh, that's that's good to hear you say that. The, the reality of it is that that story's out there now on the uh, – on the Facebook page and all that sort of thing, there are a lot of guys that are reading that stuff, aren't aware of uh, your conversation with with old mate Steve. Um, fact is that you know I had one bloke actually ring me up and point out to me there was a bit of work done recently which said ninety percent of recreational vehicles, caravans, and camper motorhomes are actually driving around overweight and are therefore a safety issue in and of themselves. And if we as truckies were doing that, uh, you'd be more than willing to be helping us with more mobile uh, weight checking and <laughs> things like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're, we're, not, Look, we're not the problem, mate. We are not the problem. No, uh, and, and I, I've had this debate. You mentioned, Steve, I had this conversation with Steve and someone else a while ago where they talked about fatigue. And yeah. they talked about light drivers have nothing similar to what heavy vehicle drivers around fatigue. There's no rules dictating how long a light vehicle can drive. There's not yep. the same enforcement and scrutiny. And my response back was, you're right. The difference is, though, if I'm in my I-30 and I fall yep. asleep behind the wheel, Mike, I'm probably going to kill myself. But you'd realise if I'm behind the wheel of a large vehicle, 40, 50, 60 tonne, I fall asleep, the risk, the, the impact is much greater. No, I'm not so going to argue I'm, that. The, the physics of it are irrefutable. Yeah. Um, but 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 having said that, fatigue is not the bogeyman that it once was. I mean, no, uh, it's it slipped to like third, and a distant third in the causes of heavy vehicle accidents. Inattention and distraction are the number one causes now. Yeah, yeah, they they are. And again, though, Mike, you'd realise that inattention, and distraction are also signs of fatigue, though, right? 
Oh. So you know your, your attention. No, no, I'm serious. Because if you fatigue, your, atten- your, your attention starts to wander a bit. I'm not talking about the mobile yeah. phone use or the iPad use, but you, you you can get distracted more easily. You're trying to stay awake, but yeah. look, to be honest, Mike, from from my perspective, I'd love there to be no no drivers dying on the roads. That that would be my shame. Oh, well, you know, mate, Well, while humans are operating the machinery, mate, that's never going to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah I well, mean, like, well, we have to be a little bit pragmatic about it. Well, let's, let, uh, let's let the machines take over and see how that works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I'm not into that idea either. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Paul, do you, you you obviously oversee things like AFM and that, which, um, yes. you know, the NHVR has been promoting to us as, as a tool to use um, to help with fatigue. Um, I, I've been involved in trying to get, a policy through, and it, it's been um, less than entertaining um, <laughs> to get That's not anywhere. what you said to me the other day, mate. Yeah, well... That, no, that is not the word you used the other day. I'm trying to be very polite here. But, you know, it has been frustrating to, to actually get even to the point where I think we're, we may be nearly there. But um I do believe you guys are implementing some new tools to yep, to are. help out with that and I'm actually involved with with part of that. Um so I do see some good things there. Um but it it is your intention that these policies are much or or to get the standards there for blokes to operate on uh, are going to be much easier to obtain. Well, we're trying, to be honest. This is one of the good things I'll say, and I'll give Sal full credit on this one. Sal um, talks a lot about listening to industry, and what he doesn't want is for us to be a regulator who sits in an office somewhere and thinks we know the best thing for industry. He wants us to go and talk to industry and find out what the challenges are. And the challenges in applying for AFM was one of the things that Sal heard loud and clear. He came back to me and asked me to have a look at this whole process, which is what we're doing we recognise that AFM can be a great benefit in terms of giving flexibility for companies that, that can utilise it and actually get great safety outcomes. Yeah. We also heard that it's, it's too hard to apply for, it's too complex, and it's just not a workable process, which is why, good to hear you're involved with it, it which is why we're looking at the whole process and trying to find a way where companies who want to put the effort in to, to get great safety outcomes from using AFM can do so. Mm. Now there is a bit of a, a um, thing out there with people believing that anybody applying for an AFM, all they want to do is work the guts out of their drivers. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd have to say that with what we've gone through, it is actually probably making it better for the drivers and probably, well, I won't say probably, so it will give those drivers a better time at home so mm. that they actually can spend some quality time at home and not have to have 24-hour breaks, you know, 1,800 kilometres from home. Yeah. And and from what I see, we're starting to get to the point where some of your staff are actually understanding what that means um, to a driver, that not everyone has mm. the ability to have a 24-hour break at home. Yeah, yep. So, but, yeah, some good work going good on to, there. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, good to hear. Look, it's it's a work in progress, right? So, you know, I'm hoping that, um, you know, within it, – t- look, we're really reviewing our whole process around how we process them, so it'll take some time. But I, I really hope that we'll get to a point where, as I said, that, you know, companies who want to 
look at AFM, have a much easier pathway for doing so in terms of applying, understanding what they have to do, and actually getting great, useful feedback from our staff on how to actually get that over the line. Yeah. So moving from that to HVNL2, so I've been through some stuff from the NTC, I'm sure you guys have as well and have contributed to that, about actually reducing the the punitive levels of of minor offences. Um, has the NHVR got a stance on where that should be? We're, we're supportive, and that's why I think... I think you'll find, I had this conversation just recently with the Member of Parliament in New South Wales at a, um, at a committee inquiry where they talked about these administrative offences and it's a narrative I see a lot on social media, to be honest, and I, I look for them and I talk to my staff and I trawl through our offences and I really struggle to find the NHVA issuing any infringements which are just for administrative offences. Yep. We, we don't see you misspelling the name of the town you came from or some of those minor things as being a safety issue which is why my staff should look at those things and actually understand it's not a safety issue and not issue an infringement for it now i can't control obviously other entities who are enforcing the law they don't sit under myself but i do support the fact that those minor things which don't have a safety impact really shouldn't be things that drivers are getting infringements for yeah it should be around safety yeah so in in the in HVNL two, if we if we're looking at putting submissions into the NTC about the level of um, how critical the breach is, depending on the the fine, do you believe there's an area there where minor offences for you know say things under half an hour have actually got a different mechanism before you get a fine, so maybe three strikes. Uh, because we, we are looking at some stuff that is is um, not just a traffic offence. There's there's implications here under workplace health and safety. Mm. Or yeah. one of the biggest things I see is that we as drivers have so many things out of our control that can affect mm. the end of our day. And all you might be doing is trying to just get that extra hour in after you've been mucked around all day. Um, to get to a point where you can go and have a shower and a feed and, and find somewhere to sleep that you're not two foot off the road so that you can actually, and, and, and this is managing your fatigue, not managing mm. compliance. This is the difference. So yeah. the next day, you know, you're you're much better off to do your job and you cop two or three of those in a, in a week, particularly in a row, where, you know, you just have the, the perfect storm created and that that's where we end up in a dangerous zone, but you your book might look compliant, yeah. But but yeah. you're totally rattled, and yeah. And that's what I'd like to see. You know, the lawmakers and even the the people that enforce the law have have that understanding that that poor person that might be, you know, getting pulled up and harassed for 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 work diary infringements has been doing the best they can and there's really no mm. intent to break a law, um, which, you know, in, in every other circumstance, you really need to be proven that you intentionally did it. Yeah. yeah. Well, can I just chime in there quickly before you answer that, Paul? There, there are several cases where we know provably 
that drivers have actually lost their lives as a result of having to pull up in inappropriate places. And I cite Dane Ballinger for that one, God rest his soul. The, mator- the, the uh, memorial truck show at Bathurst this last weekend was in memorial of that, and that was why that man is no longer with his family. Um, I think that I think that we should be allowed to, as a professional driver, be able to say and have some input on the fact that where we feel we're safe to pull up or not, you know, yeah, um, I, irrespective of what the logbook says. I, I I hear you, Mike, and that's I think you've probably captured what's. I'll say wrong, maybe that's the wrong word, but I'll say wrong with the current legislation. It's so prescriptive around work and rest hours. It doesn't reflect whether someone's tired or not. And this is the point you made at the start of the start of the session. Yeah. And we've been we advocated at the start of the HBL review and have been for a while. We wanted a more outcome focused legislation where we could and drivers could and operators could actually look at managing fatigue in a way that wasn't just prescriptive. Now, whether that gets in place or not, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, we have to work with the law we have. So I I don't disagree with what you're saying in terms of it's a blunt instrument. It doesn't really reflect your individual fatigue, and and it can lead to some perverse outcomes. I'll just come back, though. Our challenge as the regulator, especially for my staff at the side of the road, is the majority of industry will do the right thing. The majority of industry will drive the extra time to get to a rest area because they have to. The majority of industry aren't looking to break the law to break the law. Yes. There are a portion who will always abuse any way they can, and they're the ones that I worry about. They're the ones who will, especially if it's not the driver, it might be the operator, who forced their driver to do more hours than they should, who forced the driver to drive when they're fatigued, and that also leads to tragedy. So well, I, I, I agree. I, I You're love, 100% correct when you say that. Yeah. I'd love to see a national law which gives us the ability to actually address both cases. Now, again, I'm not sure if we're going to get it and we'll work with whatever we do get, but I do feel what we have now is not great. But yeah. I, I, I also understand that, you know, you you have a range of players in industry. Most are fantastic, but I do come across ones who really are putting their drives in harm's way or another motors in harm's way, and I've got to find a way to address those ones at the same time. Yeah, well, it just, it just seems to me that, the situation that we currently face with the law as it currently is, and I'm pleased to hear you say it's not ideal because we all know it's not, um, the, that perfection is the, only, is the only thing that seems satisfactory. You know, if you've got big companies with you know, several hundred trucks and there are a few out there and they end up with three or four breaches, well, I'd call that success. Yeah, you know, well, and, and yeah. if, it's one, if it's one bloke... Uh, an owner-driver or whatever that's got three or four breaches. That's a different story. There's, there's nothing scalable about what we're doing. Mm. Nothing. No, no. Well, Mike, you're interested to know we actually do look at that. So when we're looking at understanding where risk sits across industry and we look at operators yeah. and say, who do we think is a high risk or low risk? We do look at that. We look at, you know, if you've got hundreds of vehicles and you have 10 issues and you've got one vehicle and you've got 10 issues, there's different levels of risk there. And we try and identify where the greatest risk is, and that's where we can come in. We we actually spend a lot of time now going visiting operators or or owners at the depot and saying, hey, you've got some challenges. Let's talk about how you can manage those rather than actually just pinging the drivers on the road because we believe the best point to to stop a risk is before that vehicle leaves the depot. 
If you've yeah. got a scheduler who's doing the wrong thing, you've got a poorly maintained vehicle or it's being overloaded, ideally I'd love to get my staff there before it leaves the depot and hits the road and say, hey, this is not right. Because once it hits the road, you've got a, you've got an active risk. Mm, yeah, that's true. No, there's no argument about that at all. I, I just I, I just struggle with the sometimes the the fact that we're looking at you know the the number of people that have lost their lives on the road, and I've I've buried a couple of mates over the years um, through things that have happened. Um, the the problem the problem that we see is that we're looking at trying to. Now, identify some problems and say, well, this is what the law needs to do to fix this. And we're talking about fatigue now, for example. My mm. question, I suppose, would be how many of these people that we believe have been killed in, in fatigue-related accidents are actually compliant in their logbook? How many of them aren't compliant yeah. in yeah. their logbook? Um, it, it's a, if it's if a the logbook's question, not right? working, if the logbook's not working, why are we doing it like this? Yeah, Mike, it, it, it's such a good question, buddy. And again, I, it, I'm trying not to comment on the on the law and the law reform because we're not actively involved in that, right? But uh, yeah, you know I, what? I, 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 I put that caveat out before we started, mate. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah thanks, Mike. Yeah. Look, I think yeah. I think you were up at um, Twin Waters at the ATA National Conference this year. I think I saw. I might have seen you up there from memory. No, not there. Last time not I saw you, mate, was a Wagga. Yeah, Wagga. Okay. But look, we, yeah. after that, it was a really interesting point where Ron Finnemore got up and he was talking about his um, fatigue de distraction detection technology, the seeing eye machines. Yep, and he's I've got one right in front of me right now. There you go. And yep. he finished talking and this, this, this member of the audience stood up and said, you don't know me, Ron, I used to drive for you. That machine saved my life. Yep. And I've got to tell you, if we, we are, at the regulator, we are so um, supportive of using things like those fatigue detection devices. We had a driver, I, I, I won't say her last name, her first name is Fiona, you might know her. She came to our national, We I did a conference for my staff to talk about how to um, enforce the law. I got a number of different drivers to come and talk about their experiences. So they talked about when we get intercepted, here's what it feels like for us. When you guys talk yep. to us on the side of the road, here's our experience. So that my yep. staff understood both sides. And she talked about how her daughter started driving and how those devices saved her daughter's life. We yep. uh, Electronic work diaries, fatigue detection devices. To be honest, Mike, if I had a magic wand, I'd put them in every heavy vehicle across the country because they save lives. And they save yep. lives in a way because they measure actual fatigue, not necessarily the blunt instrument, which is the work diary. Yeah. Mm. I, I, look, I'm hearing you. I, you're not, you won't get an argument out of me about this. I yeah. I was very very anti the uh, the guardians when I first was told I was going to have one to the point where I very nearly left my job because of it uh, yeah. and until I did some research on the matter and found out what it does do it doesn't do and all that sort of thing now I'm not going to try and sell anyone guardians except to say I set one off when I had a nod so I mean yeah. if, if 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 you're out here driving a truck or any sort yeah. of a commercial driver and you tell me. You've been driving for any length of time. You tell me that you've never had a nod, mate. I'm going to call you a liar because yeah. everyone does. So, Michael, uh, you know, you'd almost go as far to say, buddy, it, you know, did it save your life? You nodded off. You might have woken up by yourself. Yeah. You know, you might have had that micro sleep go just that one second too long. So yeah. that's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm such a fierce fan of these devices. I'd love like implement it properly, right? You can implement them poorly where the poor driver gets buzzed every six seconds or, you know, 
you know, looks in their side mirrors and gets gets a buzz awake or something. But implemented properly, they save lives. So yeah, I, at, the, I agree. at the regulator, we, you know, I, and I'm speaking for Sal as well, who's so passionate about these things. We'd love to see a law which lets us use some of these devices as a way of managing fatigue as opposed to a work diary. Again, not sure what we're going to get in the law, but, you know, that you get a sense of where as a regulator, where we see the future lying and we see the greatest value sitting. Mm. I think some of you this know, technology still creates fear yeah. um, within drivers and, and I have heard of, of companies that actually – you know, three three warnings on fatigue and and you're gone, which isn't really a, a method of helping you manage your fatigue. It's just saying right. if it happens to ha- happen, you're going to get the sack. So yeah, it's things like that. Look, that that technology, you know, with the the seat shakers and things like that. I think that stuff's brilliant, but it doesn't necessarily have to be hooked back up to to an employer who may use it as a tool to, to sack a driver. Yeah. Uh, I understand that they're a risk, but if that's the case, there needs to be either further training or, or something going on or understanding what well, what their um, schedules may be yep. that, that that's well, actually happening. Great point. We, uh, we have enough. There's a lot of technology in our trucks that's totally underutilised. Uh, the ABS, EBS readouts, for example, that can tell you how your driver's actually working. Um, and how close they're pushing it to the edge. And the, the reality of that is, when I've had several conversations with, with some engineers who, who can answer these questions, and uh, they're saying that every time someone talks to them, all, every, all anyone wants to talk about is enforcement. Um, yeah. Because everyone's scared of the big stick. Yeah. It, it, it does yeah. worry me that we, we have these opportunities like, you look at any of the race car trains, race car teams. They've got all the mm. telemetry on their cars the whole time. Everything. Driver can't even yep. fart in the car; they don't know what it smells yeah. like. <laughs> so, you know, the reality of it is, is that they use that technology to make their drivers better, not the punishment. Get another driver. We need to change the culture. Mm. Yeah, and, 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 that, and Michael, I guess I'd say just the same way I mentioned before, there's some really good people in the industry and there's some people who want to push the envelope. Um, yep. There's also some really good employees. Like well, we've talked to some employers who they do, when the, when the seat shakes a couple of times, they do ring the driver and say, how are you going? Are you okay? Do you need yep. to take a break? Right? And yep. that's what we want to see, not, hey, buddy, you set that off. You know, we're going to sack you because it's happened three times. And I, yep. I, I, I think... Look, and again, you know, I'll get accused of having rose-coloured glasses and always looking, you know, at the, at the positive. But I think employees who do the right thing by drivers tend to keep good drivers, mm. right? Yeah, well, we, don't, we, we don't have any trouble getting drivers. That's all I'll say about where I work. So. You know what I mean? So and if you're a kind of company who gets a reputation of being, um, I'm trying not to swear, of being too hard on your drivers, then I think you're going to struggle to get good drivers. Yeah. I think you're going to create an environment where you're getting drivers that no one else wants to employ, and I think that'll have an impact on you as well. I and I, I do think a good employee gets good employees. Mm. That's that's my yeah. view. Well, that's feeling well, safe in the environment that you're in too. It's not just about the fatigue laws and how you're looked mm. after there, but um, yeah, I think those those technology are, are probably something that maybe should be introduced in 
to the ADRs if that's if that's where it needs to be. So regardless of the truck, and um, if you're an owner driver, you know what you, it's not going to report back to anybody anyway. But it might no. might shake you up once once or yeah. twice. It might make you realise that even some things that you're doing maybe beyond your capabilities, you've just been damn lucky. Yeah, there's, there's some in- interesting developments. I know in in Europe, there's some things like we. One of the one of the fears I have is I keep hearing there's drivers who have a day job, night job. They might be driving Ubers during the day and trucks at night, or trucks during the day and Ubers at night. They just they just driving themselves to the bone. And I hear that you know in in other countries overseas, they have a card where you sign into the truck at the start of your shift, and they track to see where you've signed in to make sure you're not you know driving for three different employers and doing huge hours i hear of you know different prototypes where like there's a breathalyzer test for alcohol i hear they're trying to develop a breathalyzer test for fatigue there's a lot of stuff that's going to come which i think will help drivers manage their fatigue and good employers keep their drivers safe Mm. well without without laboring the point too much and i mean you know we we as a transport industry, Australia, we do a bloody good job, I think. We've, mm, we've certainly cleaned a lot of our act up. Uh, I mean, we're, we're long past the days that I... <laughs> there you go, she's giving me a warning now because I was just having a look out the mirror for too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, we, we, we've come well past the days where we, um, we were getting uh, a packet of shakers in the pay packet mm. and... You know, that sort of thing did happen. We all know that it did. We've got trucks that are a lot safer now. We've got uh, technology that sort of keeps an eye on things. We're only responsible for, you know, 20% of the accidents. That's too many. We all agree. But the fact is that we need more education programs to try and lift everyone else to the same standard that the professional drivers are at. Mm. Yeah, I, I that's what we need to be. Yeah, I agree. And, and again, Mike, you would have seen our work we've been doing around light vehicle drivers, whether it's the young drivers with the don't muck yep. the truck, with the other drivers, and we all need space. We are trying to educate light vehicles about driving safely around heavy vehicles to make it safer for our heavy vehicle industry drivers. Because a lot of the yep. time, the light vehicles are doing stupid things, which are putting our heavy vehicle drivers and themselves at risk. And we see part of our role as educating those light vehicle drivers to keep them safe and keep the industry drivers safe as well. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's something well, as a driver you see every day that, um, and it's not just young drivers, don't worry. There's um, a fair oh, bit of yeah. stupidity going on out there on, mm. in all ages, and it might be good to teach the young because they might be able to teach their parents a few things. <laughs> but yeah. um, it, it is an issue, the distraction of, of devices and, you know, whatever we have in vehicles these days, it... Um, yeah, it, it is it is a major problem. Yeah. Yep. Well, it is. I, I haven't received too many text messages tonight, so obviously I've asked a lot of the questions <laughs> that yeah, have been really. that have been put to me today. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, none of this is personal, Paul. You know that, right? So no, no, Mike. No, no, I, I I know you well enough, Mike. I know this isn't personal, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just that, mate. I'm very, very, very concerned about the way things are being perceived. And, you know, there seems to be some some questions out there, I suppose, that require bigger answers. Um, I, I was a little bit disappointed when I pre- read the press release for the way 
it was presented mostly along the Steve Shearer lines. Um, I, what, what can we say, mate? I mean, it's it's not a very pleasant situation to be in yeah. if you if you're not confident in what's going on, and you know it's a, it's a stressful time of the year anyway for drivers to try and get things done, get home, stay safe, remain compliant. So, I mean, yeah, look, look, Mike. I'll, I'll say I'll say in the press release. It's I, I know that I know that Steve had a had a challenge with it, and you've mentioned the same. But again, that same press release talked about you know Sal talked about. Um, the, the fa- we have a lot of fantastic and drivers, operators and drivers doing the right thing. Keep up the good work by practicing safe behaviours. There's a lot of positives in there as well, but I, I take on board that people have have looked at a couple of those aspects of it and pulled them out. But the intent of this really was to was to be supportive. Obviously, it wasn't interpreted that way, but and I guess that's a learning for us going forward. But it really is supposed to be around raising awareness. And supporting the industry, not around, you know, slapping industry and saying you're doing the wrong thing. Mm. Yeah. So, Paul, I'd like to ask about um, if, say, you are a driver and you you do actually end up getting getting a fine for for a fatigue breach. What's the avenues there for challenging that or to prove to prove yourself that you know th- this was just a simple mistake? And yep. that it hasn't happened prior, and you've you're taking steps on your own to educate yourself, or you've moved to electronic work diary or something like that. Is yep. is there an instrument through you guys where a driver can actually challenge yeah. the fine? Yeah, absolutely, and and you can do that without even going to court. So I'm going to go back at the point of intercept, and one of the big things we heard from I mentioned before that panel of drivers and operators who came and talked to my on road staff. And it's fascinating because the drivers talked about when they get intercepted, a lot of them have a fight or flight reflex. They get quite nervous. Like it doesn't matter how many years or decades you've been driving, there's still a nervousness. Am I going to get a blister for something outside my control? Am I going to get a fine and, you know, undo all the hard work I've done this week? At the same time, my staff might have just had a driver who's abused them and they're full of the next person. They're full of emotion. And there's this really interesting understanding about how people should treat each other yeah so i guess i'd say the first thing you can do is if we treat each other respectfully and professionally both sides listen but let's say you do get an infringement and you don't think it's fair you can challenge it we have a separate part of the organization to my area so not under my control nothing to do with the on-road staff and they're the ones to review they look at things like they do look at history they do look at humanitarian reasons. They look at a number of different things to identify should this fine be overturned or not. Um, they look at whether it was, it was legally issued, whether it's appropriately issued. They do a full review, and that's something which is at no cost to the driver. Yeah. And, and they'll notify the driver of the outcome, and then obviously you can take it to court if you still don't agree, but there's a no-cost option to challenge any of our infringements if you believe they weren't warranted or weren't fair. Yeah. Well, that's good because that that avenue for a fine issued by any other authority is quite an extensive one to challenge, and mm. yeah, normally normally you don't get anywhere with them. But um, that's good that that option's there, and uh, yeah, it is good to see you guys um, actually out there promoting what what you've been saying about you know education and and try that mm. first before we start finding people as I said before I'd like to see 
Um, and we have the technology now that a bit more record keeping can be done on a particular person if they are struggling with managing their compliance. I won't say fatigue because most people manage their fatigue. Um, that you know you can help them through that by mm. education and maybe you know three strikes and then you say, well, come on, this is you, you know you haven't been doing real well here, um, which yep. which may take take some further action, but. I, I'm one who's not, particularly when when it's considered a workplace, that being having a, a financially punitive thing is is not good for people just out there trying to make a living. It doesn't happen no. in any other other job. Like you know, in, in my normal job, I don't, I don't I don't get fined for filling out a, a box wrong or no. you know or whatever. Or if you if you're cooking a hamburger and you burn it, you know, and you throw it in the bin, no one's there ready to slap you with a fine so i I agree yeah look and that's and again i I, i'll come back to the point again i'd like to think that none of my staff are issuing infringements for those minor administrative issues right and i've actually seen some issues where drivers had i guess i'd say a very aggressive and disrespectful approach to my staff my staff still haven't issued a blister for an admin breach Mm. i so i i i think that's where if we're not already there with 100% of my staff, I think by far the majority of my staff really are focusing on what are the safety issues and trying to educate as much as we can. Yeah. I, I honestly think, I mean, we, we all know that the attitude test probably shouldn't exist anymore. Um, but it, I, I, I've got to say, on my own behalf, if someone bounced out of the cab and was straight into me, I'd find it a little bit difficult to, uh, to not apply the attitude test. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I, what I think what drives a lot of it though is the fact that they know that if they get that fine, as they, as you say, yeah. a significant chunk of their work down the toilet, and then yeah. they've got to explain yeah. it to the missus. Well, the yeah, and the yeah, sorry. Pro- problem there lies with particularly on people with you know on kilometre rates and things like that, or even if you pay yeah. by the hour. You know, if you've lost four or five hundred dollars for the week. You know, it's not just the fact that little Jimmy mightn't be going to camp next week, but it's you've got to make that money back. And you know, my experience in in the roles I've played is that a lot of people live week to week. So that week that yeah. that fine comes out, they've either got to either pay it and and go without. Which, yeah, as I said, in, in my view, as a, a workplace thing is, um, yeah, sh- shouldn't be there. But, uh... Yeah, you'll see a couple of things. I'm not sure if you know. A couple of things we're doing. We made a decision a little while ago, not for fatigue, but for uh, load and mass, and uh, I think off route as well. We tend to actually find the operator, not the driver. Yeah, we're actually doing less and less. And we're doing far, far, far less prosecutions of drivers. We're really only looking at parties in the chain. If you look at our stats, you'll see a dramatic drop the proportion of drivers who are actually taking enforcement action against compared to operators and third parties. Mm. Because we do, we, we're with you on this. We do believe that a lot of the time it's not the driver who's at fault or the driver who has control. I mean, you know, that's that's kind of as a regulator where we're heading because if I, can, if I can get an operator who has 50 trucks, for example, or 20 trucks to do the right thing, I've got 20 safer drivers as opposed to trying to intercept every single one of those 20 drivers and do work with them. So we, we, we do recognise the, the value in not finding drivers for everything and actually looking at, you know, working and finding operators instead. 
And that's the direction we're going in in terms mm. of our investigations, our prosecutions, and our on-road enforcement as well. Now, fatigue's a bit different. We're still It's a bit of both still, but that's the direction we're going in. Mm. So in, in the reporting phone line, which is on your website, it can be anonymous or whatever. Yep. Do you um, take calls or can you do anything about facilities, you know, where people load and unload that yep. are actually causing fatigue to yep. drivers? Is there yes. is there yep. something yep. that we can do to help, you know, for you guys to say, well, you know, this place, ABC, they're, they're really bad. At every driver that we talk to seems to say that, you know, half the problems they've got come from there. I, I, yes, you can. Ring the line and tell us. One of my biggest bugbears is I hear this anecdotally all the time, but very few people want to go on the record and give us information we can use. Now, having said that, this year alone, I won't mention who they are, um, both Sal and myself have been and actually visited a number of quite big organisations who have those facilities you're talking about and actually talked to them about the information we've got and information we're getting and challenging them and actually asking us to show us um, how they operate. And we will keep doing so, and we're doing investigations on those off-road parties who are involved in you know, loading, unloading, scheduling. We are increasingly looking at their impact on safety in the, um, in the freight task. Yep. You know, so I would encourage listeners, if you have experience of it, Please, please ring the hotline. Let us know when. Let us know where. Let us know what happened. Because every single call we get, we do an assessment of. And the more we get on the same place, the more information we have, which can inform our investigations. So, if um, someone wants to do that anonymously, that yep. that will still be taken forward as a as a serious um, call. It, it it will be. Look, ideally, we prefer it's confidential, but ideally. Not anonymous is better for us because then if we need more information, we can come back to people and say, hey, can I just – you said this on your phone call, initial phone call. You said X and Y. Can I better understand what you meant? When did it happen, et cetera? But, yes, you can do it anonymous, anonymously if you choose to. Mm. So there is instruments within the law for you to prosecute these places? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But even a, a visit from some of your officers might be um, well-respected perhaps. Yeah, oh, we've, and again, I, I won't mention companies, but Sal and I talked to, um, and again, I won't even say the role, but I'll say a very senior executive in one of these companies and, and the board of that company who straight away launched an investigation to the practices of a certain site. Yep. Right? So even a visit and even a conversation can lead to good outcomes for drivers. Mm. Yep. Yeah, because so, there, there are quite a few who believe they have no role in this at all. That, yeah, that's right. That that's not that you, the order's not their responsibility at all. Um, yeah. No. Look, and, and again, I'll give I'll give an example. And again, this was one where it's quite proactive. We had year on year had a challenge with the grape harvest where we'd have load strain issues. Grapes spill off the back of the truck, they land on the road. They're quite slippery for other road users, especially motorcyclists and bicyclists. They dry up. It'd rain. They get slippery again. Mm. We went and talked to the vineyards about their responsibility and their accountability as a party in the chain and and got them to change some of their practices so they're not necessarily they're not the freight company they're not the driver they're the people who are growing grapes but mm. they have responsibility and we work with them and this year we actually saw a big drop 
in grape spillage, a dramatic drop in grape spillage through the grape harvest. Yeah, right. And that's you know that's a good example of where we can work with people who don't think they have a response, don't know they have a responsibility, and we can educate them and work with them and get some great safety outcomes. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's good in those scenarios when you may have that where people don't know, but I'm talking about experiences where companies do know, they do know what yeah. they're doing wrong, and they seem to proactively <laughs> do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. They do it and they don't care, that's, some of them. That's about the size yeah. of it, yeah. But it's good to see that you guys can do something about it and that we probably should encourage everyone that, that does have a problem in those areas to, to contact you guys and make a, make a difference. Yeah, look, one of the first things I say whenever Sal and I or just I go and talk to a company um, owner or a board of directors, etc., that one of the first things I say is I'm going to talk about some of your safety risks. And the fact I'm here talking about it with you means you now have to take action. You, you, you can't you can't say now you didn't know, you can't say you didn't understand your responsibilities because now I'm here talking to you and if something goes badly wrong and, and we end up prosecuting you and taking you to court, this conversation will be put in front of the magistrate saying we had a conversation about safety and they chose to do nothing. So, look, we take it pretty seriously. We understand the risk they play and we're increasingly focusing. I can say that um, our, our investigations area has recently created an off-road investigation squad focusing solely on off-road parties. We know the role they play. We know we can get some great safety outcomes by focusing on them, and that's part of what we're doing. Mm. Well, that's good news, I can tell you, really good news. Yeah, I, I'm happy to hear that. So just to change direction for a moment, let's talk about some of the maintenance stuff. I I note with some irony that the roughest section of the Yuma Highway is the section around the check-in station at Maroolan Hall. <laughs> um, have, you, uh, have you had the displeasure of driving over that piece of road recently? I'm not in a heavy vehicle. I've been, I've been, I've been in one of our cars, not in a heavy vehicle. I, I, yeah, well, I, I can I, have I, Yeah, look, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to comment on, on the maintenance of our roads. It's really nothing. We don't do, We don't have a road. Uh, yeah. I don't want to get, uh, don't get myself chat. in trouble. Uh, no, look, don't get yourself in trouble. I'll get myself in trouble for you. How's that? I had a chat with Jenny Aitchison about that piece of road, yeah. and she did tell me that it was going to be looked at. And, of course... Over the course of the last several weeks, months, it has been looked at. There's been a number of things there. I'll tell you what, it desperately needs a profiler over it now. Uh, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> we, we, we're going in there and we, we're being inspected. Um, you know, things like a busted shock and, and that sort of thing. Um, mate, some of this stuff, you know, it, it, it takes a little bit sometimes to get some of this stuff corrected. And it just seems to me that, you know, some of the some of the visits through the shed can be a little bit harrowing as well. Yeah, okay. Can you talk me through that, Mike? Well, uh, there are, you know, a number of issues that are happening on our road now, particularly with potholes and uneven surfaces and things like that. It's not hard to, to break a shock or break a bolt. There's a difference right. between lack of maintenance. Yeah. I mean, yep. when you get underneath and look at a truck, you can say this truck's been maintained, yeah. and that's broke. That's broken like yesterday, or this truck is a shit heap and should have been in the scrapyard two yeah. years ago. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, some of the guys' uh, conversation out here on the road sometimes, 
Mike, mate, you, you're coming down there now, and I can tell you, well, I'll be able to tell you very shortly where, who's working where at Maroolan and, mm. and what's going on. We all know what's going on out here. Um, you know, one on the plate, one in the shed, whatever. Um, yeah. Some guys are finding it a little bit of a challenge. Okay, look, I'll respond in a couple of ways. The first thing I'll say is we are... I think I said to you last time, Mike, when I was on your podcast, we're always open to feedback, right? Yeah. If, if 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 industry feels we can do something better, let us know. We might not always agree, but we take on all feedback. And I, all feedback from industry, I look at personally. I, I I talk to my staff about it, trying to understand. Can we change? And I'll give I'll give Steve Shearer his dues. I, I know it's not a Steve Shearer love fest, but he and I have had a couple of meetings where he's come up with ideas that I've put in place to make things easier for industry, right? And around safety yeah. camps specifically. And um, he's batting, I said to him today, he's batting two for two. He gave me two ideas over two years. I put both in place and they're both great ideas. I'm waiting for his third. But I guess, oh, yeah. I, I, guess I'm, I guess I'll make the comment, Mike, one of our challenges when we see these things in a truck pulls into a checking station is we don't have an understanding, because you can't, of how long ago yeah. that happened. Yeah. And, and and I'm sure you'll agree that sometimes someone will have an issue and they'll drive through it for far, far longer than they should. And my guys at the checking station, they sit at a point in time not knowing did it happen a kilometre down the road or 300, 300 kilometres down the road. And that's yep. one of the challenges my guys face when they're trying to assess the impact and assess how they deal with it is not having any understanding or awareness of where it happened and how long it's been an issue for. And it's, uh, brakes are a great example, obviously, but, you know, it could be the shockies, it could be a crack in the windscreen in front of the driver, not the passenger side necessarily, but, you know, that's one of our challenges as well, Mike, trying to make an, a, a fair and informed assessment of a risk without all the information you'd like to have to actually inform that. Yeah. The point that I was trying to get to with that is that sometimes when when you get a defect put on the truck and it's got to be cleared, sometimes you can lose the use of the truck for an extended period of time. Yeah. yeah. Um, for a very minor defect, some of these things, you know, really should be self-clearing. You know, like if you yeah, uh, yeah. if you can, you know, drive back through the checking station and rule on and show the guy that you've got four new tyres on there now because you've just chained them. Yeah. Um, why why can't we just then get that cleared at Maroolan, You know. It's it's a good question and and back just circling back again, I have had feedback from a couple of drivers who've had uh, defects assessed as minor and they felt it should yep. have been self clearing, and and I've and I've worked with my directors and my own road staff on those and done education for my staff to say hey, you know why did you make this minor why wasn't self clearing to try and make sure that they're making good decisions as well. Yeah. I am. Um, I'll I, I tell a quick story. I was when New South Wales first transitioned to the regulator from Transworth New South Wales. There was a great interaction with one of my staff where a vehicle that came through had about five or six defects. They had quite a few issues. Yeah. But and, but what the the officer did rather than write write one defect with a list of them all on one, gave the driver three different defects and said, you know, these ones you've got seven days for, these ones you've you know you've got to do in twenty four hours. And these ones are self-clearing. And, and and what they did for the driver is the ones that had seven, because it wasn't on the one form, right, in 24 hours, it gave, yeah. gave the driver time to get to a proper uh, big enough town to get the windscreen replaced or to get the repairs they needed. Because otherwise, it's, it's like you say, Mike, you know, if you 
if you put them all on the one, the poor driver's got no option. That that truck's off the road. Mm. Whereas yeah. if, you know, my, what my staff member tried to do is put some common sense to say, well, I recognise it's going to take you a while to get this one fixed because you need a big town. You need to order ahead of time. I'll give you seven days for that. I'll give you a different defect for the one that's 24 hours and a different one again for the minor stuff. You know what I mean? So we, we, we are, again, I guess my I keep saying these words, we're trying, but we are trying to understand the impact on drivers and trying to make decisions that reflect the challenges of the freight task. And that applies to fatigue. It applies to maintenance as well. Mm. Yeah. Well, Excellent. a lot of those changes, you know, like we're talking about with the HVNL2, there are submissions are still open until the 24th of November that anybody can put a submission into um, the NTC. Um, I was actually looking at the site there last night to to put a submission of my own in, and um, we have been in touch with the NTC today to maybe help make that a little easier. Um for people to put submissions in, but you can just write something out in a um, document form and and upload that. You don't have to fill out the specific questions that they're asking. Um, you do have to create a login, and and your submission will be. You know, you can flag it that you don't want it for public um, to to be seen in public. But I encourage anybody to do it to go onto the NTC website yeah. and. And put in a submission on what, how you believe the, the laws should change. You can see some of their suggestions and what they're looking for. Um, but if, if we want to change this, um, this punitive level of, of small uh, clerical errors or things like that, you know, we need to change the law because at the moment it doesn't look like we're going to be able to take those types of things off lo- local mm. um police or whatever so it, that's still going to remain so that the law actually needs to change so that no one can issue those infringements in that in the current form and here's what i'll say to your listeners if if you if you did receive a blister for for just and for nothing else other than a clerical error or a minor issue from the nhvr i'm more than happy for you to let me know like I, i'm happy for drivers to to send that through bring it to john gilbert's attention or my attention because I, to be honest, I look for them. Because yep. I, yep. I'm, I'm not a fan of them at all. Mm. Right. So well, there you go. You heard it here first. Yep. So, <laughs> what, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And 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 people need to understand that, that that's the NHVR. So if it comes from a a police force or the TMR or someone like that at this point, it's it's out of your control. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So when do you look at taking over Queensland? Yeah, so Queensland transitions um, before the first half of next year. So we're looking at about April, May um, is when Queensland transitions. That's the final jurisdiction to transition its heavy vehicle regulatory services to us, the ones under the HVNL. Um, and that'll give, from our perspective, our next phase then is what we call harmonisation. We've already started that with the states we have, but what I want to see is the experience a driver has, the interpretation of the heavy vehicle national law is no different in Queensland, to New South Wales, to Victoria, USA, because I think consistency drives safety. If our drivers and operators know what they have to do to be compliant and they know that's going to be consistently applied, I think we'll get safer outcomes on road. Right. Okay. Well, I, think you're right. I think you're right. I think you're right. So that that would include in PBS systems as well? Yep. Where we- yep. Not having this well, half-ton difference? Oh, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm here. 
So, <laughs> Sorry, yeah, let's blow that, that one up, eh? And again, yeah, it does. <laughs> only oh, look, only because, only because that's not something I control. Again, I, it sounds like a cop out, but each jurisdiction sets its access requirements, and we do a lot of influence and advocacy and working with them to try and get harmony. Mm. I'm, I guess I was referring more to the my officers at the side of the road and how they're interpreting yeah. the law, as opposed to the differences in the law itself, or because every state's got minor derogate uh, minor differences. And, and, and access requirements and little things, but I, I just want to make sure that when my officers are interpreting the HVNL, they're doing it consistently, and you've got that same experience. But you're right. Sorry, I wish I, I wish I hadn't said it. Now, yeah, there are <laughs> there are those differences that make me a liar. Yep. Oh, well, it's something that you've got to work towards, and it's um... don't, be, don't be too hard on yourself, mate. You didn't tell a lie. Wasn't intentional. Yeah. No, no. Might be the rose-coloured glasses thing, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is, Mike. <laughs> oh, no, like, look, we all understand that there are some differences and that's in the law and that's the way of it. We've already said you don't make the law, so... And I, I got the intention of what you were saying about the officers yeah. um, interpreting, you know, trying to be a little bit fairer about it as opposed to being a little bit more... <laughs> And anyway, that's it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to give you another. I'm not going to. I'm not going to rub you back anymore, mate. You're right. I think you'll, you'll go. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, that's been a, a great conversation here tonight, Paul. It's yeah. um, been great to have you on. It's always nice to share the regulators' view. Um, yeah. You know, we we've all got some of those rose-coloured glasses, mm. um, and. And I, I do hear it out on the road, the, the anxiety that, that people go through when they're coming up to a checking station or or when it's, um you know, there's there's someone on the side of the road near some pads or something. It You know, it does cause anxiety and that's something I wish we, we can work together to relieve, that people can actually drive along knowing that they're doing the right thing and if, if they have made a small mistake that it's not going to be a – there's not going to be a major outcome – you know, yeah. in, particularly financial um, hardship from it. So, you know, yeah. if that's the way you guys are working, it's a great thing. And I think it's something that we can all work together then on in the industry to make the, the whole industry safer. And that, that includes for us out there having to drive trucks as well. Like, I don't want so, someone coming down through the middle and up the other side at me either. Mm. No. Um, well, look, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for the time and the opportunity to come and, and talk to your listeners. Thank you so much. No worries. All right, we'll, we'll go to a song and you just sort of hang there for a sec, Paul, if you wouldn't mind. Right, we'll do. We'll be right back. Thanks, Paul. Thank you.
Everybody, that's a bit of uh, in excess. Need you tonight. Well, mm. there you go. Well, that was uh, that was Paul Salvati, Chief Operations Officer of the NHBR. Now, just to clarify, clarify something. Paul did say before he left that I wanted to make sure that we were right before we went ahead and said it. He has said to us, if you can come to him with a straight clerical error breach that has been issued by an NHVR officer, he wants to know about it. Yeah. So you can email me, Mike, at ontheroadpodcast.com.au, editor at truckalive.net.au, whatever you like. <laughs> My phone number's out there. Um, I will be more than happy to present that to him on your behalf. Just remembering uh, from the NHVR. Not. From the NHVR, not the police department, because we know they do it, mm. right? And we know that they do it. And the NHVR can't fix but those. No. Yeah. So, you know, that's the thing. Now, the other thing that needs to be understood is that Paul came on here tonight. Where was no, there was no pre-coming-on conversation about what questions would be. There was nothing off the table. There was nothing excluded. It was straight out, straight up. We'll ask what we need to ask, and you'll answer it or not. And Paul had the uh, good grace to come on. I've got a lot of time for Paul, I really do. And uh, I feel for him in the situation that, you know, they're stuck sometimes between a rock and a hard place. Mm. And, uh, you know, they're, they're doing a tough job. Someone's got to do it. Mm, Someone's got to do it. Yeah. But there is some points he makes, particularly one about being respectful to each other in, in these Indeed. interactions, um, you know, of... I've experienced some mainly good ones, um, a couple yep. that haven't been so good. But, yeah. you know, you, you do have to maintain your composure through most of it. Um, yep. You know, and it probably will give you a better outcome. But um, Well, that's the other thing. I mean, you fly out of the cab and start calling all, no, all the F and Cs under the sun, mm. don't expect a good result because you wouldn't get it from me, that's for sure. Uh, and just remember, you know? you're on camera. So, yeah, you are on camera these days. Yeah. So, but anyway, look, it's it's one of those things. If you know, none of us like it. I still think there is a, a lot of anxiety in in going in for an interception. But yeah. if we can all understand that we can do this on a friendly basis, and hopefully that you know it turns out well for you, that 
that we can work together for a safer environment. Yeah, well, you know what's reduced my anxiety level at interceptions? An electronic work diary. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I'm not saying everyone, you know, I understand why some guys don't want to do it, and I'm a flog of dead horse, uh, but you know, the reality of it is is that all of those little things like not filling out your home base, not ticking a box, not adding your house up properly, all those things are things of the past. Mm. They really are. Yeah, and, and, that, and that goes for all jurisdictions of enforcement. It does, indeed. Yeah. So. Oh, there you go. No, so we're gonna we, 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 sorry, go I'm over the top of you. I keep going over the top of you. Oh, it's because you don't listen. That's the problem. I do listen. Do you? Yeah. Right, eh? I do listen. This news to me, but anyway. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. So yeah, again um, about the convoy on the weekend for yep. closing the loopholes, Bill. Um, if people can get to that, it would be good. Um, Every capital city. So, again, we will try to put something up about that. Um, yeah, but some good associations doing some work there. Um, another one I will mention is the NRFA. We're having our National Road Freighters Association annual conference in Shepparton on the 10th of February next year. So right. The guest list looking pretty good so far. Um yeah, so come down there and stay for a night or two. You'll uh, be having a bit of a tour around the Move Museum. So that interesting. Um, it'd be interesting. It looks like I haven't been there before, but it looks like a great place to be. Our conference will actually be at the Woolshed, which is just behind it, and we'll be having a dinner that night as well. So we will have be having representation there from the NHVR. Um, got a few pollies already agreed to come, so. You know, I don't know whether they'll um, have got this um, closing the loopholes bill through by then, but if we all know our political system, we would be, um, yeah, <laughs> be pretty wrapped if it was, but I don't think it will be. So I'm, uh, I've made my position quite clear on it. Hmm. No, we can, we can, we can go ahead and sort out some legislation to put some leg cuff things on buddy illegal oh don't even start me on that yeah. old performance <laughs> but I mean we can do all that we could give five, half a billion dollars to the barrier reef in five minutes flat but we can't big strength sport reform mm. I mean Jesus Christ yeah where do you start yeah no where well it's, it's one of those things and we do have a great ambassador here with Glenn Stirl and the work that he's done so it's it has got to this level. Um, yeah, and even the associations all starting to hold hands a bit, I think, and get together and fight for something. So maybe, Mike, if it doesn't pass, that they'll introduce it as a, a standalone thing. But at this point, I think that's that's where it is. But um, Well, I know the crossbench have been at the government trying to get them to split the bill. The government have said no. Yeah. And these omnibus bills only ever serve one purpose. There's always good legislation in an omnibus bill and there's always some absolute dogs of bits of legislation in there. And governments of all persuasions, not just Labor, the Liberals do it as well, all governments do it to get some of the things that they ideologically want to get across the line. You know, they put in an omnibus bill and you can have all of this or none of it. Take your pick. Mm. And that's the way, that's the way politics is played. 
makes yeah. me sick to my guts. It really does. Well, I think um, I think at the conference, the National Road Freighters Conference, is is one of the last time that it can be sort of talked about before it is actually voted on. Yeah. Um, so I hope we get a few of the crossbenchers there who are holding back. Um, just just to hear a version, you know, a different version of the story, but they are being all lobbied quite hard about um, the implications that it has, and I think the worst thing is not only um, as being an omnibus bill, which involves so much else, there's there's other political gains or, or whatever in this as well, which, you know, what, what can I say? Saddens me to think that that good legislation can be held back for the purpose of a few. Yeah. But that's, well, that's the I political mean, world we live in. Um, you, yeah. you know, well, you know that I've got a lot of time for Glenn and, and you know, we've talked a lot on the on the show and, and talked privately as well. I'm sure that in his heart of hearts, he's as disappointed as we are that things are going the way they're going. Mm. Well, um, but unfortunately, you know, there's only a certain amount of things that you can do. Mm. So. Well, you would have thought that something that had so much representation in um, in the inquiry and so mm. much support, um, you know, with with associations and that getting together, and you know, it's not just a couple of people saying it in the industry that it should be supported. It's it's the whole industry. Um, yeah. So you've got that, and then you've got a few cross branches and um, people that, and, the, and even the opposition at this stage should be doing something about it. They, you know, they they, they cried that they were going to help the transport industry while they're in power, but they didn't do anything. And now, and now all they want to do is um, stall it again. And you would have thought, particularly the nationals, which I know there is support from, but they've just got to come out and say it. That's. That's the yeah, thing. but I mean, if you want to have bipartisan support for something, Craig, you've got to do it at the start of the process, not at the end. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right? You've got to start from the start and say, look, guys, this is what we want to do. This is where we want to go. What do we agree on? What do we don't agree on? Right? Let's work towards the shit we agree on. Mm. Here we are at the end. This thing is in writing. It's up against... It's been put through the lower house. It's gone to the Senate. And now we're trying to get bipartisan support? Mm. What a load of shit. Well, it's, it's absolute horseshit. Yeah. But I, I don't understand why they can't support something that in, improves the lives for so many people. It's, you know, yeah, well, beyond me. But anyway. Well, it's, poli- it's, politics is a zero-sum game, mate. Yeah. But As I've said before. Yeah. It's a zero sum game. If you don't if you're not winning, you're losing. Yeah. And you don't give someone else a win. It's a shame, isn't it? It's a shame. It is. But these um, what, what led to the downfall of Rome, mate? Yeah. But these are these are our elected officials, you know, regardless yeah. of of what party they're in, there's there's decisions that need to be made from time to time that, that do warrant that support. So yeah. anyway, well, you know, the people will remember it. For a long time, if if nothing. Yeah, happens. well, so. my greatest worry now is that we we've got a government, as I said in my editorial in this month's magazine, mate. We've got a government now that's looking more and more and more like a one-term government. Yeah. Um, well, if that's... this thing doesn't get across the line now, what happens when the other side get back in? Mm. 
Okay. That's yeah. the question that you've got to ask yourself. Wow. So you've got the you've got the clothes and loop holes uh, things that are there. If you feel like supporting it, you really should go. Put your money where your mouth is. Mm. Yeah. Right? But uh, at the same time, if you don't do, do anything, if you sit there on your hands and don't do anything, don't cry when nothing changes because it won't change That's right. unless we do something. Mm. So get out there and support the associations that are doing their best for you. If you're not part of one, join one. It's, mm. you know. They're there fighting for better better conditions for us all, so better yeah. industry, and hopefully out of that, you know. And one of the things I see out of it, if if they can band together now and show some unity, which has been such a big problem in the industry that we can't stand together, if we can start doing that, then, then the power will increase on, on what we need to be able to change things in the future. So yeah. next time there's something that comes to the table that needs to be fixed, you know, as an industry, stand together. It'll it'll happen if we can do that. It it happens in other areas. So you well, know, we, the, we do need to stand together. Yeah. And the thing is that because we are standing together on this one thing, you've got so many people that agree with the thing that disagree on other stuff. Mm. You know. For God's sake, why can't we walk the same way on things we all agree on? Oh, well. It's, it's not rocket science. It, it does my head in. It's not, and it's something that, you know, people have been working in the background here for a long time to to try to make this happen. And I'll say, I think, you know, the last few years have, have proven that um, that we can come together. So, you know, yeah. um, go back and listen to some, some of the stories there, mate, that... that You've dug up on Razorback, and and yeah. interesting to see some of the other people involved in that, the ones that Kath's been talking to, and and building a bigger picture on, you know. And if anything, we learn from that, like staying together, it it does, it's powerful, very powerful. It is powerful. Yeah, it is powerful, and, and the, we need to learn. We need to learn from our history. That's what we need to do. Mm. And, uh, you know, we can't go parking across the road anymore. We just can't do that. But no, we can, there'd be some you know, we can lobby people. Pretty quick, I reckon, if we tried Yeah, that. well, yeah. I'll make Tony Bolton try it at, at, uh, at Reedy Creek there with the COVID thing. And, I mean, I, you, you got to hand it, love him or hate him, you got to hand it to Tony for that. He did have the balls to put his money where his mouth was. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, yep. I'm not sure I agree with the way he tried to do it. But having said that, he did at least have a crack. And, and, and it wasn't, I would have liked it to have been more about transport-related stuff rather than COVID, but that was Tony's line in the sand. Yeah. And I can't, I, I can't say I blame him. I think we'd all about had a gutful of, of, by the time. But, it's, but just, it's, really... it's just showing about fighting for something you believe in. And I'm pretty yeah. sure that most of us in the transport industry believe in what we do. Um, you know, I mean, for people like, like us here at on the road radio and truck and life, you know, our, our life has become this doing things to improve the industry. Um, yeah. Not not just for transport, but you know, helping everybody on the road understand what we do. And if if part of our role in this is to help talk to the regulator and people understand that you know maybe the regulators isn't this horrible big beast that's just trying to punish us. You know, yeah. help us work together. I, I, I am encouraged to actually, you know, find out that 
you can actually talk to the regulator about these sites that might be causing you some issues. So, yeah, you know, if if it all it takes is them to land on the doorstep to say, listen, we've had a few phone calls about you guys. Um, you know, maybe that's something that will help make a difference and get your act, get your act together. Oh well, I mean, we've all we've been always, there. yeah, we've been there, we've, lived through it. They've caused, you know, it's it's certainly I know myself. Any cause of fatigue for me in the industry has not been from the sole job of driving. It's been mm. from the places where you have to sit for hours and hours and hours, and most of it is is needless. It's just poor management, you know, or or chasing KPIs. That's what that company's doing at the moment. It's got nothing to do about efficiency of rolling trucks in and out. Um, but it causes driver stress. Yeah, which is fatiguing. Particularly when you've got to, you know, you know that you've got to be out of that farm tomorrow to pick up that load of grain out of that silo, so you can get back in yep. and get it tipped off, and you've got to go through these three cameras. Yeah, and if anywhere along the line something cocks up, it's... you're sitting on the side of the road having a seven-hour break, five k's from home. Yeah, you know? yeah, or in. in <laughs> In a street around Brisbane or Sydney or wherever, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, where you can't even get back to a reasonable spot to have a shower. So, yeah, yeah, none of that's very pleasant. But you know, again, go go to your convoys and and try to do something to make it happen. Get on that NTC website. Find it. It's not an easy task. I'll I'll give it that. But get on there, have a look, and if you can make a submission or. Get a couple of people together or, or join an association. All the associations are putting submissions in for that. So yep. join them and be part of that. So when an association puts a submission in, it's it's tagged with with not the names of the members, but the amount of members they have. So, you know, if, if each association's got more and more members, it's a stronger thing that, that people like the NTC have to listen to and then they present that to the governments to make mm. decisions. So... You know, get behind it and and make the change. As I say, nothing happens if nothing happens. It's no, well, sit around and bitch all you like at the roadhouse. That won't change anything. N- not at all. Not at all. Yeah. So, so we're coming up to the end of the show, mate. We've got to thank our sponsors, Queensland, Queensland Rail. Yeah. Um, with the uh, we're running the uh, know your truck and height thing where the bridge strikes and the level crossing. Mm. Things that we've heard, you know, we've all heard the ads on the radio. Andy and I sound fairly corny doing those ads, don't we? Do a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But oh, dear. It's, it's an important message. Particularly, they talk about getting a blister. Get one of those things, you know, you got a blister then, eh? $11,500 is the minimum fine for a bridge strike. Yeah. $11,500. That'll make your eyes water. And I suppose they'd be hitting you up for, for costs too, then. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, if you if you do a significant amount of damage, uh, it can be worse than that. So, no, you know, and of course, then, of course, there's whatever damage you do to your equipment, the downtime that goes along with that. Yep. Uh, do it in New South Wales, you'll probably get your, your, your registration suspended. That'll help you. Yeah. Uh, you know, so Queensland Rail uh, uh, entrusted us with getting that message across and... and uh, we thank them for their support, the sponsorship of our shows. Yeah, yep. So, but yeah. There you go. 
She's nearly nine what o'clock. Or the Yagi's Yagi's obviously not coming on. But anyway, no, no, he's out there. He'd be out there trucking somewhere in bloody no phone servers WA. That's what'll be happening there. Yeah, right. I just got a text message saying, "I love the Queensland Rail ads with Andy and Mike." Yeah, <laughs> was that Andy? Was it? No, no. So you've got one admirer out there. Oh, well, there you go. How about that? So, uh, trains can't swerve, mate, because they're stuck to the tracks. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, must thank our special guest, Paul Salvati from NHVR. Yep. I hope um, I hope people are listening and take a bit of note, and you know, and it really is nice to see them uh, engaging with the industry to try to try, try to make a change. Yeah. So, well, look, when we asked him to come on the show, there was no. If my bats, mate, yep, no problem, we'll talk. Yeah. All good. Yeah. Yeah. And so and, it can be quite confronting. Yep. So And yeah, you know, we're getting that out of the regulator. I I'll tell you, I have asked the highway patrol to come on and have a chat with us. Do you know what they've said? No. <laughs> Crickets, mate. They don't even answer the damn emails. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So yeah. So that's yeah, there you go. Right on, mate. Well, I'll get the news ready. Um, I think you should. I've, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tickle this recording up for you and put it there. You can throw it on the podcast tomorrow. That'll uh, be good. Or tonight even. We'll be a, yeah. Yeah. And, um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And we'll look out for you Saturday night. Yeah. Um, sure. I've actually just got a message from Colette saying she's got something from the TWU where all the convoys will be held. So Righto. we'll put that up on... Um, on the Road Radio Facebook, and um, yep. we'll share that around so everyone can go and have a bit of a look at that. Um, awesome. Yes, yeah, so I'll put this recording up for you, mate. I'll go and have an early night. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Manage my fatigue, you see. Yeah, I'm going to be managing mine shortly too, mate. I'll be checking out the insides <laughs> of the oil. It's in the, in the big bunk of this Western Star, mate. So, yeah. Right, Well, stay safe, everyone, and we'll... Um, We'll talk to you on Saturday night. Cool. So remember, Mike, if you can't be good, be spectacular. All right, good night, everybody.